Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My name is Mark Boris, and I've teamed up with Stake, one of Australia's top investing platforms, to talk about going public. IPOs are exciting milestones that unlock new capital, draw more attention, and open up opportunities. But a lot happens before and after the trading bell rings, and it's not all glamour. Join me in candid conversations with prominent business leaders as we reveal all the ups and downs of getting a private company listed. Ellie Run, Glazer, welcome to Going Public. Hey, Mark. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. And you know, it's it's uh, look. First and foremost, I need to uh, establish some context here. Um, you are right now. We're doing this um, through Riverside, but you are right now recording from where, actually? I, I'm currently in Israel. And it's which, uh, nine nine thirty in Israel a.m. And which part of Israel are we talking about? Uh, in Tel Aviv, Monday is based in Tel Aviv. Monday.com is based in Tel Aviv. I'm in Monday offices. And uh, we are going to talk about uh, Monday, Monday's uh, uh, NASDAQ listing. We'll talk about that in a moment. But um, just give us some context about the tech world in Tel Aviv or in Israel generally, but uh, a lot of people don't realise how big a deal technology development is in a place like Israel. It's a great question. Uh, Israel, although it's only 9 million people, we have a very live uh, iTech scene. The universities are very much into uh, software and development as well. We called ourselves, or we are being called the startup nation. Many startup companies, many public companies, many companies were bought by, uh, you know, huge or giants, American companies. So there is a very lively uh, technology uh, scene going on in, in Tel Aviv and in Israel in general. Is, is that a government-sponsored process? So do the... Does the current administration or and, 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 and or any previous administrations, do they encourage it with tax breaks or they do something to encourage technology development in Israel? Not really. They do help, but I would say it's most, mostly the entrepreneurship kind of uh, spirit that we have in Israel. All the Israelis, we call them entrepreneurs. Everyone wants to build something. Everybody wants to do something. Just maybe a bit of a context. This is an immigrant country. You know, the country came from my, my mother, for example, came from Egypt. So you have many immigrants here that are always looking into doing something creative. So there is some support from the government, but it's mostly coming from the spirit or the kind of uh, the, the people who are entrepreneurs by heart. Uh, and they are kind of uh, moving the wheels. 
So can you you wouldn't mind uh, saying to me then, uh, please, um, you joined Monday.com not too um, much before the listing on the NASDAQ. So just give me some context. So um, when did you join and when was the listing? So I joined Monday uh, in February 2021, two years ago almost, four months before the IPO. And just, Mark, to give you the context, it was my first IPO. I never did an IPO. Wow. And they literally brought me to the company after they were looking for a CFO for a year and a half. I remember coming in, they brought me to the IPO room and they said, we're doing an IPO, yours. And I was looking left and right and I said, I don't know the people. It was a 10 days interview process, just, just by way of uh, context. I didn't know the people. I didn't know the story. I didn't know the company. I had to learn as we fly. I had to speak with investors. I had to speak with analysts. So for me, it was like, uh, you know, going into the, into the IPO as an experiment that was successful, thanks God, but it was like an, uh, something I will never forget. I had to learn as we move on. That's pretty crazy too, by the way, when you think about it because, uh, you know, NASDAQ's an American or the United States sort of uh, program or uh, protocol on, on, on their own sort of systems and you're, here you are having all the investors or potential investors or the people who are going to undertake or underpin the, uh, the listing, uh, probably sitting in a room in um, Israel <laughs> talking to someone who's never done one of these things before. That's a big deal. Like, plus, add to that the technology, over, overlay that with the technology or the technology stack, which would be really complex too, which I'm sure you're getting asked lots of questions. So you're like pretty much thrown to the wolves. How? Let's go back a little bit though. And if you could please tell me, go back a little bit. Talk about the story about Monday.com. And by the way, as I understand, it wasn't always called that. It was had another name before that. So to go back to the story. Why was it started up and who started it up and what was the original idea about it all? So Monday, original name was The Pulse, which is an odd name. Uh, it uh, was uh, founded in 2012. Uh, first product was in 2014. Monday is a work operating system platform. Uh, where anyone can create the tools they need to build, uh, you know, uh, software to run their all aspects of their work. And the reason why it was funded to begin with, Roy and Iran, co-founders and co-CEOs of Mondays, are developers. And when they worked on software, they found out that the software is rigid and they could not fit the software to their needs. So they decided to build a company that will have an open platform, a schemaless architecture, that will allow the users of the platform to build any solution that they deem appropriate for their needs. And the technology and the infrastructure were like this, that basically we give you a building blocks, we give you the tools, and you build whatever you want. Why it's unique? Because not like other software that is either rigid, off the shelf, or very complex enterprise solution, you basically get the platform, which is very developed. On top of it, you have the building blocks, which, is, which are the dashboards, the boards, and the automation. And on top of it, you have uh, the Monday products. And it will allow you to do a drag and drop, um, drag and drop, sorry, uh, build out of the software. And we don't really sell you a software. We sell you tools that you take and you build what you want. And this is something that allowed us to get to today, almost 225,000 customers across 200 uh, geographies or markets in the world and across 200 industries. Any industry out there, any organization out there can use Monday because of the flexibility, the ease of use, and the, the platform capabilities. 
Actually, this show, which is my business, but this show actually uses monday.com for our scheduling and our guests and and also um, it allows us to work out where our proposed guests are, what position they're in, have they accepted, not accepted, it schedules dates and once they're done it actually exit the exit the guests out and puts it back up onto the system where we show where this is a produced podcast. So, you know, you're one of them for that, for that matter and once this show's over and produced and exited, you'll be taken off the monday.com as you go into another system but whereby we, we, where we have a stack of um, shows that have been done. And it's interesting, we use monday.com. So I was actually pretty excited to talk to you because my, my, my staff here are always saying to me, oh, no, look, stop asking us uh, where what's the guest, lo- guest list look like. Just go to monday.com. <laughs> they just tell me go to monday.com all the time, which I do. And uh, that's why I was so excited to get this opportunity to talk to you guys. I, I, if I could just go back, D- D- Plus, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, no, sorry, uh, the Pulse. Uh, it was DA Pulse, DA Pulse, DA yeah, Pulse. Correct. Not not the pulse, but the 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 pulse or whatever. Um, it's like a rap song, the pulse. I don't know. Yeah, the uh, pulse. Well, it sort of makes it. I get it. But uh, when was the time that they decided to change that name? And what was the story around that? So back in uh, twenty sixteen, they realized that uh, the name is not the most. Uh, you know, I would say uh, fit. It's not like a good name for a company that take itself serious. And they're quite, uh, they were kind of thinking and doing some process. They went into lifting. They looked at all names. And they came out with the name Monday. And they had to, bo- to buy, by the way, the, uh, the name from someone who all the, the, the rights for it. it. Because Monday is the first work day outside of Israel. So they said, if you are coming to work, you want to have fun. You want to enjoy what you're doing, not just coming to work. You know, there is always the song about the, the bloody Mondays that you don't want to come to, you don't want to go to work. So they wanted to have an environment of fun when you use Monday. So um, this was kind of the rationale behind the name. And they paid, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, $50,000 for the name. They bought it from someone and uh, that's it. Not bad. Not a bad investment when you think about it because the name is synonymous with what Monday.com does actually. Can, just out of interest though, the in Israel, the first working day would be Sunday. Would that be right? Is Sunday the first Correct. week? Yeah, because you're Thursday. Because Friday afternoon and Saturdays are your two weekend days or holy days or more religious days. Um, why did they choose a day? Do you know? I mean, you may not know the answers, but perhaps I'll try it anyway. Why did they choose a day that was more more related to say the non-Israel world, if if I could put it that way? You know, U.S. world. First of all, I don't know if Sunday was. First of all, I, I don't know if Sunday domain was available. Just to be fair. <laughs> And I think uh, I think it's a global company. Look, Monday is a global company. Yeah. Uh, as I said, we have close to two hundred and twenty-five thousand customers. When we think about the scale and the, uh, you know, the entire world, Israel is just a small place. So you know, something that will appeal to companies outside of Israel, organizations outside of Israel. If I would have to to guess, but that, but that's quite a a big call too for someone to take the view. The founders, original founders, to take the view. That back then, by the way, because it was nowhere near as sophisticated as it is today, but back then that this is going to be a global business and we got to appeal to, you know, the, the, the global audience um, and Monday became much, much more relevant to a global audience, you know, it can include India and China and every other place. Um, so that, that's a pretty big call. So the two founders that you mentioned before, um, they must have been 
Big visionaries. Are they big visionaries? Did they always think one day they're going to be on the NASDAQ? I mean, how big did, you know, how big was the uh, vision when you spoke to them, for example, when you did your 10-day interview? How big was the, the vision then? Huge vision. So both Oiman and Erad Zilman, the co-founders, both of them are visionaries. I mean, when you think about it, most of the companies that came out of Israel are, you know, looking for the global companies because in the end of the day, you don't have enough customers and you don't have enough people in Israel to buy the software uh, that many companies are developing. Think about companies like Checkpoint, that is a big, it's a giant, even company like Palo Alto Network that came out of Israel. And, you know, Roy and Iran, uh, we just had a, an investor day back in December 9 in, uh, in the US and they spoke about the vision of the company and they said, I don't know to tell you that from day one, we thought about the IPO, but we wanted to build something big, something that will take us to the next level. And Roy, who is, uh, Roy one of the founders who is, uh, has big visions, big dreams, he said, look, I want to be a $1 billion in ARR. And he was standing next to a, a kind of a chart and he's saying, we will be there in 2020X. And I think that uh, this is something that you have to think big you have to be world class in terms of thinking longer term if you want to build something big. Otherwise, you stay, I think you will not grow as you want or you will not scale as you want. So both of them are big visionaries. And when you, so as you said earlier, um, the company launched in 2014 and in 2019 it raised quite a bit of dough, quite a lot of, quite a lot of money. I shouldn't use the Australian words. We, you, you raised quite a lot of money. Um, it raised $150 million, am I correct? Yeah. yeah. So, correct. so how did it raise that money? What what was that process? I mean, it, what how who were the people to whom it raised from whom it raised the money? Was there some sort of capital market there? Were was it um, uh, venture capitalists? Were they high net wealth? How did that process work? Yeah, it's mostly venture capitalists. So this was round D. Uh, that was twenty nineteen, and basically you had few names that were already. Uh, investors in Monday, all of them are VCs. You always have some friends and family, but these are small, small uh, uh, shareholders. And the big ones, basically, few of them invested again in the in round D. And then there was a, a new VC that joined and actually led the uh, the fundraising. And what you see, basically, it's always based on the story. You know, storytelling. You have to have a, uh, you have to tell a compelling story, but you also have to show growth. And this was the time when, you know, companies, I think it was a zero environment interest, companies went out there. And if you had a good story and a, and a decent growth and not growth at all cost, sometimes you have to have a sustainable growth, then you can get high valuation. So they started the process back in 2019. Uh, the company uh, presented very nice growth rates, hyper growth, uh, stats and KPIs were very good. And the investors, existing investors and new investors, VCs, mostly uh, invested in the company. So and that, I think that's an important point. We should, we, I think we should actually sort of dig into this a little bit because you just can't walk out and say, oh, well, I want to raise 150 million off a valuation of a couple of billion or whatever the number is at 1.9 billion, I think it was. But you just can't Correct. walk out and do that and say, well, we think it's worth that. You have to be able to show uh, revenue growth. You have to be able to show uh, the logic about future revenue growth. You have to be able to show a multiple that a company like this against that revenue, which would be acceptable. In other words, what are the proxies for those multiples? Um, what are the milestones we have reached and what are the milestones we are going to reach? And I know you weren't there in 2019, but like 
if we could just if you could just sort of t- uh, you know fall back on your experience and obviously you do know a lot of the stories about what happened how how do you go around how do you go about walk, working out what are the let's call it the non-negotiables that you must have in your kit bag before you turn up to say talk to venture capitalists or indeed um, you know investors through the Nasdaq um, what are the sorts of non-negotiables you must have clear in your mind and and what have they got to indicate? I mean, it can't be just a good story. The story's about the numbers as well. Um, and, you know, you being a, a CFO, you know that better than anybody, um, and particularly today. Like today investors are really focused on these things um, as opposed to maybe a couple of years ago it might have been a slightly easier thing to do, especially during COVID. There's a bit more money around and money has sort of disappeared, not disappeared, but it has become a bit less. So therefore, if you're going to these markets, be it high net wealth, venture capitalists, or indeed listing, what are the things that are non-negotiable that you think today? This is a great question, Mark. And I, I, will, I will try also to address it from the perspective of the investor. When you present to the investor, he will always say, what's in it for me? So I invest now in a valuation of, say, $1.9 billion dollar. And I want to make 3x. So I think in my mind that if the company will not be worth close to $6 billion in, say, five years, then, you know, as a VC, I don't really fulfill the purpose of my existence. So you have to make sure that you understand this as an entrepreneur, because he will ask what's in it for me. First thing, let's understand what is the product market fit. We had the product market fit. We proven to be working. So if you're in early stage, have a product market fit. First thing, this is not negotiable. Second thing. Make sure that you are solving a problem that really exists for a big market. Solving a problem for a big market. If the market is $1 billion dollar and you are a leader in the market and you have even 20 percent, it's a $2 billion dollar company or $200 million dollar company. Who cares? But if you are working in a, comp- in a market that is hundreds of billions of dollars and you even have a small penetration rate, you can make a big number. So this is not negotiable. A big market, your total addressable market has to be big and you have to be able to articulate this you have to you have to make sure that you solve a problem that is a pain for many parts of the organization not a niche product or a tool but something that can be uh, enterprise level solution and you have to make sure that you understand the needs of the investor that in five years he would like to show return his internal IRL so these are the things that are super important also don't just focus on the short term focus on a longer term when you are going into this negotiation, show a three-year to a five-year plan and make sure that you are able to, under- to explain how you're going to be efficient. Because if it's all about consuming cash just to drive growth without really what we call growth at all costs, you will never be efficient. You just, you know, you buy a dollar and a half, you, you pay a dollar and a half for one dollar business in terms of revenue. This will not work for the longer term. It worked for a short while when there was, a, you know, back in the bubble days and maybe now when it was zero interest rates, post-COVID, but it's not sustainable. So make sure you are able to demonstrate that your runway, your cash, will take you to efficiency and to a certain point will take you to break-even and potentially profitability. These are the things that you have to have in mind before you even start a negotiation. And also, don't be afraid to be bold because investors would like... They, someone once told me when I was in my early days, I'm maybe just worth mentioning, 20 years in, in global IT companies, spent four years in New York, worked in startups, in global companies, in uh, corporates. And I spoke with many investors and they told me the following, many of them, 
70% of the investment that we are doing is in, is in the entrepreneurs, the founders of the company, the people who run the company. 20% is the product. We want to make sure that there is a product that really address a need or a big problem. And 10% is the size of the market. Because, and when I asked, why do you invest in the people? Because in the end of the day, they said, you have to dream big. You have to think big. You have to be visionary. You have to dare. Because if you have a great product and you will not be able to market it, it will not work out the way you want. But if you have even a, a good product, not the best in class, but as an entrepreneur, you can take it to the next level. We want to make sure that you, know, you will do the journey and we will follow you. So I think this is the case of Monday. Uh, the product was, is amazing. The market is big, $100 billion market. And Roy and Iran, they are hungry. You know, both of them did nice after the IPO, but still you see the level of innovation is in core of everything that we do in Monday. And there is a lot of innovation, rapid pace. We address multiple uh, products and multiple solutions to the market. And even today, there isn't a year where if you look at Monday kind of 20F, or even in the investor uh, presentation, you will see that the level of innovation is, is super fast. And it's super important to make sure that we'll continue to innovate. So that, that's a very interesting point you made a, a, a bit earlier about the, the percentages in relation to investors, what they're looking for in terms of the people part, for example, and also that, you know, that they do present themselves as visionaries. But how do you um, adjust for someone who just goes way over the top? Um, you know, like it's one thing to be a visionary, but, you, you know, like you've got to be sort of contained um, uh, or in charge or in control of your vision. You know, like you've got to make it clear that, you know, you're not t talking a whole lot of crap, you know, like, and because these, these yeah. investors have heard everything from everybody. They, they, they see one of these a day or five a day. I mean, they're just, just people just piling through their offices and they're just doing pitches and pitches and pitches. That's, that's the whole life. How do you... Um, sort of manage your process around making sure that on one hand you're seen as a visionary and very passionate and, and have a great understanding of what you do and love what you do and live for what you do and will continue to do that once you've got the money compared to going way over the top and just looking like you're full of crap. So yesterday I met with, uh, with someone who has a, a VC and he told me that he raised a certain amount of money but he only used 10% of it. And he didn't call the money and I asked him, why, why is that? He said, look, I looked at 10 companies in the last few months. I only invested in one. And I asked him, you know, what makes you confident that this is the one? He said, look, experience and multiples. Also, let's, took, let's take the technical kind of mathematic way. So if you think about Monday, there are other companies out there, you know, uh, you know that you can compare multiples, either a public company or a private company. And they say, Let's say the right multiple for these days is around 10 times ARR. So if you are seeing someone who will tell you, look, the company is selling for $30 million and I want a valuation of a billion dollars, you would probably tell him, well, no. But if you see that he tells you a story, look, the company is $30 million today. In two years, it's going to be, let's say, 70% growth, 80% growth, going to be $50 million. I think the right valuation is probably 10 to 15 because of the benchmark because of what I know in the market, you start to have like a decent conversation. So you have to, this is where I mean the, the, the person who runs the company and negotiate with you, you, you start to get some uh, feel and trust with this person. So I would say it's not just throwing numbers saying, look, 
everybody's out there is raising for a billion dollar, even if I just have 20 million ARR. Maybe it was, you know, there was a short period of time post-COVID that everybody got crazy. You know, companies that sold in 10 million got a valuation of, I don't know, $250 million, which was crazy. So you have to have like a boundaries to say, look, this is my span of investment. I will do 10 to 15 ARR. The great products, the great entrepreneurs, I would give them 15 because I trust them. The ones that are good and the product is amazing, maybe I will do 10. But you kind of set yourself like a milestones or, or kind of boundaries to say this is kind of the, the spectrum where I will negotiate. And it's a lot of uh, gut feel, you know, experience and the experience of the entrepreneur. Was it, is it his first company, second company? Um, and, you know, what is the product? What is the market? What is the benchmark? And your gut feel, if I have to summarize. So when, when someone like um, um, Monday takes on venture capitalists and high net wealth and obviously and perhaps they already had family and friends in there in the beginning as well to help sort of grow the business and, and build the business, as you said earlier, um, investors want to know what's the horizon look like? You know, when can I get out basically? Or when, when can I have an option of getting out? In other words, I don't mean an option in, in a proper sense. I mean, when can I expect to get out? I might not want to get out, but when can I expect to, I have the ability to get out? And it, I don't know about how you refer to that in your agreements, but in a shareholders agreement, it's generally referred to as a liquidity event um, that I'm familiar with. Um, liquidity event meaning either you bring in a new partner one who buys out some of the older um, investors or some of the investors or or and or some combination of but usually or or you sell trade sale to somebody bigger than you or someone who can um, vertically integrate with you and or some other combination or you list um, list, listing is a, a pretty obvious one um, and you guys chose the NASDAQ and we'll come back to that in a moment um, how important, though, is it to have a roadmap during these earlier raisings to tell your investors, whether they're VCs, high net wealth or family and friends, that there is in that roadmap an expectation that at some stage you will have a liquidity event that might be, for example, a listing on a stock exchange somewhere? I think it's uh, super important to have this roadmap, at least uh, directionally speaking. So... If you think about strategy for a company like we do in Monday, you think about the next five years. I presented to the board a 10-year plan. And when people say, why do you do a 10-year plan? I say, look, maybe it's a dream plan, but it helped me to kind of today understand what I need to do today in order to get to where I want. So let's say the 10-year is mostly uh, kind of, uh, it's, it's imaginary or maybe a direction I'm speaking. But if you do a five-year plan, you say, look, the strategy for me is to be X million dollar in revenues or ARR. I need this amount of capital. I need this amount of people. I will operate in all these geographies. If you have a clear kind of vision where you want to be in the next five years, at least in terms of the plan, you now go backward and you start to think what I need to do today in order to get there. So when we kind of thought Orina Run for them, it was always clear that it's going to be a listing, not a sell. No one wants to sell the company. Monday is doing great. You know, there is a liquidation event like secondary in many lives of companies. Take about, think about Stripe, for example, that did recent uh, fundraising and took the entire $6 billion and gave it to the employees because it took them longer than what they anticipated to go public. So you might have like during the lifetime of the company events or that you will do secondaries 
maybe late stage ventures will release the early stage ventures. Maybe they will pay some to the employees just to make sure that the employees are more relaxed. Definitely an environment where everybody's like doing secondaries. Um, but in the end of the day, you have to have a clear vision. And for us, the clear vision was to go public and we will have some small liquidations event, liquidation events as we approach the IPO. So wh- wh- why did Roy, are you familiar with this answer, but is, why did Roy and Iran decide in particular the NASDAQ? What, what was the thinking behind that? Because there, uh, so, there are other locations. There are other places you could go. Yeah, so when we did the, so this was the stage where I actually joined. So we were kind of approached by a New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. For software companies, NASDAQ is the place where most of the software companies in our size uh, at the time, uh, we met the people that run NASDAQ. We had good chemistry. Also, the New York Stock Exchange people were great, but we thought for a software company that is growing and we looked at other companies out there, we thought that NASDAQ is probably uh, the right uh, uh, stock exchange for us. And so once you decide that that's, that's your target, the NASDAQ, um, and this was in 2021 when you first started, do you have to, in terms of business as usual, in terms of running the business as opposed to structural things and, you know, getting lawyers and all that other stuff, but just running the business, do you have to do anything in relation to running the business that is NASDAQ-specific? So did you have to – are there rules or, or ideas that you – or concepts that you have to sort of follow in relation to making sure that it is NASDAQ acceptable in relation to the investors who like to invest in the NASDAQ? Sure. So, you know, once you go to NASDAQ or to any exchange, there is no going back. You have to make sure that the company is ready in terms of financial service data integrity and data accuracy. You have to make sure that the systems are reliable and resilient because you have to meet certain guidelines. You have to comply with SEC regulations. You have to do earnings. There is no, once an earning date is being set, you cannot delay the earning date and you have to be audited by then. So there is like the preparation before the NASDAQ, before the IPO, uh, and you do audit and you make sure the systems are correct. You bring people, you need people in order to close the month on a timely manner. So there is a lot of pre-NASDAQ or pre-IPO preparation that you have to make sure that you comply with. Otherwise, don't go. You have to have visibility because if you are, when you are actually reporting in NASDAQ, it's okay to report about what you did, but the market, the investor wants to know what is the future tells you. And if, you're, if you are unable to foresee in the future, if you're unable to forecast or project where you're going to be in a quarter in a year from now, because you don't have the system, because you don't have the infrastructure, don't go to NASDAQ or don't go to any exchange. These are kind of things that are, you know, it's binary. You know, you have to be very clear about preparation before. And once you are being listed, you will need to make sure that systems, people, you know, timeframes, you have to make sure that you report on time. Communication with the market is bulletproof. I will give an example. You're going to NASDAQ. You need to have an IR, you know, unit within the company. If you don't have an IR, you have to hire someone maybe six months before the IPO. As investor relations, investor relations. Sorry, yes. IR investor relations, sorry, apologies. So we hired someone, uh, we hired actually someone just after the IPO, but we had an agency that worked with us six months before the IPO. You need to have, uh, you know, a website for NASDAQ. So 
These are all a lot of things. You need to make sure that you follow the checklist of the things that you need to do pre-IPO and post-IPO because once you are a public company, every quarter you have to make sure that you comply with all regulations and you know data integrity, data accuracy, as I said, timelines and uh, people that you need to bring on board. So when you listed on the NASDAQ, uh, what was the enterprise value and how much money did you raise? So when we went public, it was in June, June 10, 2021. Just maybe worth mentioning that we did the roadshow in New York during COVID in, uh, in Zoom, but it was in New York. We went to New York just to make sure. Uh, the share price was $155. We finished the first day, if I'm not mistaken, at $180. And the valuation was close to $7 billion. Wow. That, that's a proud moment. Uh, for me, I, I said that, you know, for someone who just joined four months ago and I had to kind of, uh, you know, learn as, as, we, as we progress, probably the professionally the most exciting moment of my life. And even personally, other than the kids, having the kids, having a family, probably the most uh, exciting moment where I'm standing on the podium and it was like, it was a dream come true. And, and today, if you reflect if you all reflect back on that period in 2021, which, you know, a lot of adversity given, you know, COVID and the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you look at it back then and, and you reflect on it today. Do you, are you happy with that process and are you happy with the outcome? And is it something that um, you would do again if, if the opportunity arose? Is it a good, uh, is it a good outcome? Yeah. So first of all, it's a great outcome. Uh, just maybe to give some stats why it's important and why it's a great outcome. Monday, since IPO is uh, cash flow positive, we continue to grow at a hyper growth scale. The company is profitable. Um, and we are one of the few companies that actually went in uh, 2021, went public, and the share price at the time was 155, as I said. We are now slightly above 200, and we were able to demonstrate and to deliver on our promises. So this is super important because you want to make sure that you promise something to the investor. It's a long-term relationship. They trust you. They put money in the company. You want to make sure that you don't disappoint them. And yeah, there are going to be ups and downs and there are going to be hiccups. But in the end of the day, you are dependent only on yourself as a company. The market in the last year and a half has macroeconomic challenges, you know, and it's not easy for many companies. Interest rates going to 5 or 6%. You also know it probably in Australia. Think about companies in Australia that are thinking about going public. So for me, it was a great process. The company delivered. I enjoy every day. We continue to innovate. And we, we, want, we have big dreams. You, you asked earlier, Mark, if, we, if we're in a run of visionaries. They have big dreams. We have big dreams. I want to work for a company that, you know, think big. And even if we won't make it, just to be most humble, even if, you know, it will not be what we want it to be, I want to make sure that we continue to innovate. We continue to bring products to the market. Uh, I think we have a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity. There is no company like Monday in the work in the world where we operate in the work collaboration space, uh, the work management platforms. Uh, and I think we have a huge opportunity. And I'm very excited that uh, going public allows us to actually continue to potentially fulfill uh, our dreams. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you a question because I know of a lot of companies that listed uh, during that period. Um, a lot of companies and or were sold or did raisings, etc. And they had some unbelievably fantastic valuations, but a lot of them have slipped back. 
what what do you think? What's the difference between Monday and others? I mean, why is it that I mean, you may have already answered? You keep talking about innovation and um, you know uh, having really rigid deliverables. Um, but what do you think is the reason why Monday is has a share price which is above significantly above its listing price, whereas a lot of others did not achieve that? Yeah, I will try to. Re- so it's a, it's a it's a great question. I will try to relate mostly to Monday. So yeah. Mark, if you think about you, you, you had many episodes, and if you think about what happened three years ago, it was growth at all cost. So this is kind of true. A lot of money on companies, high valuations. Everybody was taking money because there was no alternative to invest. So many companies didn't really think about, okay, how do I make the model more efficient? How do I make the model work like this, that not only I invest in the growth of the ARR, but also it starts to trickle to the bottom line, which means growth at all costs. And I think from day one in Monday, we understood, uh, I will not take credit, but as as a management team, we understood that it's sustainable growth. We need to make sure that we know how to demonstrate to the market that we grow the business, but we also make sure that they understand that we are more efficient, that we are generating cash, that we are becoming profitable or at least break even. When we went public, we said that by 2025, we're going to be break even uh, in terms of profitability and we're going to have a free cash flow positive. We actually did it two years in advance. We finished 2023 uh, profitable and fresh and, and cash flow positive. Also, by the way, prior year cash flow positive. And I think we understood that. There are a few things we need to, to do. We need to make sure that we provide the best products to our customers because in the end of the day, customers will buy the service and the products that are best in class. Second, we want to make sure that the money that we invest is efficient. So we measure everything. We have a system in Monday called Big Brain, and every dollar, this is like a BI system, every dollar that we invest in campaigns or out day, we are looking at the returns. We are measuring ourselves. It's a very much data-oriented company. You know, the culture of Monday, as I said, innovation, we want to make sure that we innovate as fast as possible and we continue to introduce new products and new services to the market, uh, making sure that the customers that are on the Monday platform will continue to benefit from many other products. So we don't want them to go to other platforms. And, uh, you know, the the I, I mentioned it in, in the... In the in the kickoff that we did, you want to be a world class. And what I always say, sometimes when you get to the, a certain peak, you think that's it. No, you have to make sure that you continue to deliver. Think about sport athletes. Think about Messi and Michael Jordan. It's not only that they got to be the best players ever in their field, but they continue to deliver every day. They come to work every day. They come to, you know, to games. It, it, it can be poly, uh, uh, athletes. It can be writers. It can be business people like yourself. Uh, and I think it's a hard work and people don't always appreciate how hard it is to continue to deliver every day. But all of the above, culture, people, the understanding of uh, the financials, um, innovation, and one more thing that I will tell you, resilience. I think many don't understand or appreciate the fact, I was in New York between 2006, 2010. During the meltdown, I was a CFO of a company in a financial industry. All my life I've been in the financial industry, in public and private company. And then you realize that the crisis is coming. You have to manage expectations. You have to manage you know, the employees. You've be, you have to be in the front seat and make sure that the company is operating in a, in a tough environment. Resilience is something that many don't appreciate 
how important it is. I'm a CFO in Monday. There were ups and downs. There is macroeconomy headwinds. There are challenges, but you have to continue to focus on what you're doing. It's not always easy. There are many mistakes. Let's not be, let's not be innocent. You make mistakes, but you continue to go on and you don't beat yourself on mistakes that you did as long as you're responsible and, and resilient. And I think all of the above, this is what is unique about Monday. I hope I answered your question. Just no, you, a, it was brilliant. A, a long no, it was a brilliant answer and I appreciate it. And I, I love your honesty. So I'll, I'll draw to an end now. And I, I want to say to you, um, Eloran, I'm, and if you please convey this to your founders as well and anybody else who may choose to listen to this, that um, I've been extremely humbled uh, to have the opportunity to talk to you in uh, Tel Aviv about your great company. It is a great company. It's a well-known company here in Australia, well-loved company here in Australia. But just to understand, um, sure, the process is really important and, you know, and getting to the NASDAQ, that's really important. But that that last part that rounded it all off, talking about the culture of um, Monday and how the platform is used to help others when there's a natural disaster or whatever the case may be, is quite a humbling experience for someone like me to have the opportunity to listen to someone talk about. And uh, no wonder your share price is you know, 25% higher than it was on the listing when others are struggle, struggling. It's not just about innovation, but it's also about being human. So well done, congratulations, and thanks very much for talking to me. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, Mark. I enjoyed a lot and I appreciate the fact that you had me on your podcast. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.